Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. Once again, we've had another significant Google update or something. And once again, it looks like this is a big one for a lot of sites. But I actually think this is just another one of these blips or dates of significant turbulence that we've been seeing since the end of January this year. In this episode, we'll talk about what we're seeing with that update. We'll talk about some new advances that Google has made in understanding language and why those are important to us. And also I'll share just a little bit of information about what you need to know about the upcoming page experience update. This is episode number 185 of Search News You Can Use. You can find the written version of our newsletter, which has way more stories and information than I'll share in podcast at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Well, last weekend was a long weekend in Canada, and I successfully took the entire weekend off other than a tiny bit of Twitter on Saturday morning. I went I went to Twitter on Saturday morning to tell people how I take Saturday mornings off now. <laughs> Didn't really make sense. I've learned over the years that when everybody's talking about a massive update, there really isn't a lot of benefit in me dropping everything right away and analyzing it right away. So on Saturday, May 22nd, when people were talking about a massive update happening, I decided to let it sit and enjoy my weekend. And instead of taking a look at uh, the update, I did other stuff. And I'm glad I did that because I actually think this is just another one of those tweaks to Google's algorithms that we probably won't be able to reverse engineer. And in my opinion, most likely reflects Google once again, getting a little bit better at finding the information that does a good job at meeting searchers needs. So I cut my grass this weekend. David started uh, building more vegetable gardens all around the, our yard. A couple of weeks ago, Glenn Gabe tweeted an example of great content from the New York Times. And it included a photo of these concrete things that you can slide wooden slabs into and you instantly create a space to pour soil into and then you have a garden. Well, so we're doing that. (laughs) We also had a fantastic campfire in our yard over the weekend. It was so relaxing. Normally the mosquitoes are too bad, but they, they were really, really good. So after the girls went to bed, David and I just sat under the stars and by the campfire and enjoyed the silence, talked for a little bit. It really was a very nice, relaxing weekend. So then on Tuesday, I had myself all prepped to analyze this massive update. (laughs) And I'll tell you, after spending several hours on it, I feel it's just the same as the other updates that we've seen. Uh, So what some of the weather tools are showing that May 22nd was a massive date of turbulence with Google's algorithms. I actually saw Barry Schwartz tweet on the weekend (laughs) when I wasn't on Twitter that (laughs) Saturday morning, that's it. That's it. I'm not doing work on the weekend. I swear. Um, I saw Barry Schwartz tweet that the levels on the tools like SEMrush sensor were as high as what we would expect with the early days of penguin updates, which means that there's an insane level of turbulence right now that the tools are picking up yet our data I mean, we do have clients that were affected, but it didn't really show a whole lot beyond another mini update or date of turbulence happening. Um, 
We have quite a few sites with nice increases in keyword rankings. Some are across the board, but most that have increases in keyword rankings, they're very sporadic. And when I looked at keywords that had improved with this potential update, it really feels like Google, again, just did a better job at figuring out what searchers are looking for. One example that I looked at was a client of ours who writes about, um, particular types of doctors who do a certain type of surgery. And really what he's writing could be considered a review. He's essentially reviewing your different options for surgeons. If you have this specific problem. And we saw that some of his pages have jumped a couple of positions above sites that exist and their, their whole purpose is to rate doctors. Now, the thing is, if I'm looking for a surgeon, it's not the same as me looking for a plumber. <laughs> if I'm looking for a plumber and I see that four out of five people love this person and think they did a great job on your plumbing and I read the reviews, I can make a decision that, yeah, this particular plumber is probably good enough to get the job done at my house. But let's say I need surgery. I'm not going to base my decision on the fact that a surgeon has four out of five stars. So the page that our client outranked has user generated reviews, same as our client, but our clients reviews are much more personalized. They actually have, uh, they start the page with the doctor himself giving a quote saying, here's what I'm good at. <laughs> here's the surgeries that I do. And as a searcher who was potentially trying to decide which surgeon I want to go to our client's document was just insanely more helpful. Um, in another case I looked at, uh, I looked at a client of ours that saw some ranking losses. One of their articles that used to rank number one for a lot of queries was again about a particular type of medical symptom that a lot of people experience. And most people, when you Google this symptom, really what you're trying to figure out is, is this normal or is there something seriously wrong with me? I think we've all done those Google searches, right? I remember the very first medical query. I searched on Google. I can't remember what it was. I had like this weird thing on the roof of my mouth or something. And uh, Google was very certain that I had leprosy, <laughs> which I don't, I don't have leprosy, <laughs> but uh, they've come a long way, right? That was, that was probably 10 years ago or so. Um, so my client, I think has the best article by far the best article on this topic. She's a doctor. She's written the content herself. She's seen loads of people with this issue, this health issue in real life. And the article is insanely thorough. If you wanted to read a full article on these symptoms and make your decision as to whether or not there's something serious going on, my client's article is the one that you should be reading. However, last week, that article that had ranked number one for a lot of queries for quite some time dropped to number two. And when I looked at the article that's now outranking them, initially it looks extremely thin. Where my client's article is thousands of words long and well-structured, the number one article, it's about 200 words long. And it's written by somebody who doesn't have medical EAT. Whereas my client's article is written by a doctor. And I can see why people would look at search results after a Google update and go, well, Google, you messed up here because that's the old mindset that we have in our heads is that we, we kind of have this list of guidelines that we say make up high quality content. I, I think most of us would agree with some of these guidelines. Like for example, 
I think in most SEOs, most SEOs would probably agree that in-depth content is better than short content. And most SEOs would agree that content that is structured well with headings is probably better than content that's not. Those of you who were focusing on improving EAT would probably agree that content that's authored by a doctor is probably more valuable to a searcher. So initially when I looked at this change and I was like, why is this short post that's not written by a doctor outranking my client? I thought, yeah, maybe Google got this one wrong. That doesn't happen too often when I'm doing these analyses, but I kind of figured this. And then I started reading those 200 or so words. And within 10 seconds, I knew everything I needed to know on this topic. These 200 words basically told me, look, when you have these symptoms, it's almost always nothing. And it happens because of this. Now, my client's article, again, it's better. It's more comprehensive. It has references. So why did Google rank this short article lacking EAT, not properly structured with headings and stuff above my clients? Well, I, I might be giving Google too much credit here, but I believe that their algorithms can look at the content on this page, on the short page, and can determine that this content very quickly answers the user's question. Now, I have theories as to why it ranks without having EAT, but I'll have to tell you I'm very early in this theory and it might not be correct. We saw a while back that Danny Sullivan tweeted something that said machines can't determine the accuracy of content. I actually think that in this case, Google's algorithms might have been able to determine not that this short piece of content was accurate, but rather that it lines up with the entity information that's in the knowledge graph and that there was nothing here that really stood out as being inaccurate in this content. And I believe that that's possible why Google could trust it. I think Google's algorithms can see that all of the things that a searcher who did this search are, are looking for and would find, find important to answer this question are there in the content and they're easy, easy to find. And they probably could compare the statements made in the short content against what exists in the knowledge graph to build up trust that this knowledge is worthy of ranking. And I think what's most important, the most important point that I need to get across here is that the reason why this ranking shift happened, or at least my theory on why this ranking shift happened is because Google was trying to elevate content that not only answers the question and not only answers it accurately, but does it quickly. So what would you do if you were my client that had the several thousand word article that Google now thinks is not as good as this short article? My advice would be to create a summary at the top of the document that basically like a TLDR too long, didn't read. And, and I bet, I bet you that if my client did that, they would see their rankings improve. Um, so instead of making their article shorter, they would have a section at the top that, uh, essentially says, look, if you want to answer this question, here's what you need to know. And then the rest of the article goes into the detail because they need to meet the needs of that search the searcher who's just looking for a quick answer. 
And then if they continue with the rest of their article, that article is still there. I mean, it's still a very good article. Ranking number two means they must be doing something right. So I do think that what a lot of people saw on May 22nd and what we really saw between May 17th and 22nd with a lot of turbulence uh, in a lot of the sites we monitor is just another one of these dates of turbulence. And I keep saying that we don't know whether Google updated their algorithms, whether Google got better at understanding language, or whether perhaps the knowledge graph updated. Well, it turns out that the knowledge graph updated on May 22nd this year. Jason Barnard from CaliCube pointed out that this is the first time that one of these mini updates has lined up exactly with a knowledge graph update. Ultimately though, I think it doesn't matter what changed at this point. We still do some kind of analysis on every one of these dates of turbulence. Our goal though, is to determine if there's a pattern that we can find that would help us create specific advice. For example, when the June 3rd, 2019 core update happened, and we noticed that a lot of sites with alternative medical content were seeing declines. We knew that we could craft our recovery advice around improving how trustworthy that content was, adding scientific references, adding expert quotes, um, separating out potentially controversial content to its own section on the website, anything we could do to help Google connect the dots, uh, to show that our content actually is trustworthy, is valid, um, linking to other experts that are seen as authoritative in your field that have similar thoughts as you. We have a whole white paper on our recommendations for, uh, improving alternative medical sites based on the information that's in Google's quality raters guidelines and also what Google representatives have said over the years. Um, but really our advice for every site that comes to us with traffic drops right now is the same. Yes, you want to be technically sound, but most of the sites that come to us to investigate a traffic drop, they're pretty close to technically sound. And I mean, we usually find the odd technical thing to improve upon, but those are very unlikely to be the cause of the ranking drops and they don't usually reverse ranking drops. Um, when we see reverses in ranking drops, it's always because we've improved EAT and now we're working on improving needs met. And I think when we get our next core update, we'll probably find that the clients that improved upon meeting the needs of searchers are the ones that have the best recoveries in our profile. Um, Google's quality raters, when they assess sites, they use two sliders to look at websites. One is EAT and one is whether searchers uh, needs have been met. And ultimately, if your rankings have been declining, you need to improve probably in both of these areas. I'll link in the show notes to our document on EAT and also another article that didn't really get a lot of attention. I wrote it in November of last year, talking about Google's understanding of intent and how important this would be in upcoming updates. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes as well, along with our information on medical scientific consensus, um, because there's, uh, there's, there's a lot to be known. You know, if Google is just trying to better understand websites and to present searchers with websites that meet their needs, then our goal should be to have a website that is trustworthy enough for Google to rank and does do a good job at meeting the needs of searchers. 
This is a sponsored episode, so I want to share with you a little bit again about how you can use Sitebulb to add value to your site audits. Sitebulb is designed to make communication clear, easy, and actionable, so your audits get buy-in and offer the most value possible. You can communicate clearly with clients using intuitive visualizations, spreadsheet exports, and PDF reports, utilizing different reports and content formats for different stakeholders. Audit scores, high-level metrics, and data visualizations can all be used to give an overview of issues. The tool allows charts and graphs to be easily exported and dropped into reports. The comprehensive explanations of SEO issues are written in clear, client-friendly language that can literally be copied and pasted into your website audit. And when it comes to getting granular data, export whatever you need to Excel or Google Sheets. The advanced Google Sheets reports even include links between tabs and reports. If you'd like to give Sitebulb a try for free, you can get a special extended trial license using search news you can use at uh, the page sitebulb.com slash search news, all one word. Okay. We've had more news about even more advancements in understanding language for Google. Last week, the big news was about Mum, which is a thousand times more powerful than BERT in helping Google understand language. And Google told us that BERT is good for understanding the intent behind queries. So Google's getting even better at figuring out, ah, oh, when a searcher types this, this is what they're looking for. I had wondered whether the most recent algorithm turbulence we saw last week was connected to MUM, but it turns out that MUM is not yet live in Google's algorithms. So thankfully, Danny Sullivan said that they likely will tell us when MUM does go live. So we'll obviously update you on that when that happens. And then this week, we heard of two more advancements in language understanding for Google. You, you know, I saw a tweet yesterday from a well-known SEO in the industry. Uh, I'm not going to call him out by name, but he said that SEOs who don't understand language processing should not be talking about these advancements. Man, statements like that rub me the wrong way. I get a little torn here when it comes to talking about these advances in Google's algorithms because, of course, I don't understand all of the complexities of MUM. Uh, it's super, super complex. And what we're soon going to talk about here, Lambda and Calm as well, they're extremely advanced. My goal in talking about these is not to reverse engineer what Google's doing with their algorithms, but I still think it's very important to recognize that Google has new capabilities. And I think it's really dangerous when we make statements that say SEOs should not talk about certain things unless they're experts in this area. In my opinion, it discourages so many people from sharing. And this industry is what it is because so many of us openly share. So if any of you saw that tweet, don't let it discourage you from sharing your thoughts and theories. I think there's a big difference between saying, oh cool, Google's got this new thing and let's speculate on how they might be using it as opposed to positioning yourself as an expert on this thing. I mean, if you started a website last, needs, last week selling Lambda Kelm Mum SEO optimization, I think that's probably not good. <laughs> but if you want to float some theories on what you think these advancements could mean for SEO and you want to tweet about that, please do it. Don't let the words of just a couple of people stop you from sharing. Because if I had done that, if... I, Years ago, when I first started talking about EAT, a lot of these same people 
were saying, no, no, you, that can't be a thing. And you don't understand it because Google's algorithms are way too complex. And because I shared on EAT, it helped many, many people uh, to improve their websites. So anyways, I'll get off the soapbox now, but don't be afraid to share uh, your thoughts and your theories, even if you're not widely seen as an expert, as long as you frame it with humility and, uh, and explain that you're describing theories, I'm totally okay with that. So with that disclaimer out of the way, and if I say anything that's overtly wrong about uh, my understanding of what Google's using for language processing, yeah, tweet at me, let me know. Uh, but I'm going to continue to to read about these uh, advancements and share my thoughts on them, even though I'm not an expert in language processing. So the first thing we'll talk about is Lambda. And I honestly, I think all we need to know about Lambda is that it's an advancement in allowing machines to converse allowing uh, Google to basically talk back in conversations. Google calls it their breakthrough conversation technology. Their blog post says, I'll quote here, recently we've invented machine learning techniques that help us better grasp the intent of search queries. From what I can read about Lambda, it sounds to me that it is technology that'll be used greatly in voice. If you have a Google Home or an Amazon Alexa or one of those smart devices, you know how frustrating it can be sometimes to converse with these machines. So I actually think that Lambda will be very interesting there when it comes to talking and voice search um, and voice communication with, uh, with machines, but probably not as important to search uh, as the next advancement that they announced this week. And that was Kelm, K-E-L-M. So Kelm, from what I understand, helps Google take information from knowledge graphs and converts that to text. Google's blog post on Kelm says that it will be really good for question answering where providing factual knowledge is essential. That's a little frightening, perhaps, to those of us who run websites. I, I, think about that example I gave earlier of a very short piece of content that started to rank well because it essentially answered the searcher's questions about a particular medical condition very, very quickly, accurately, and concisely. My theory is that Google could recognize that these were good answers because they corresponded with what's in the knowledge graph. Well, in the future, Google might not even need websites to answer this question. If Google is currently fact-checking things against the knowledge graph, and I don't know exactly if fact-checking is the right word, but I do believe they're able to compare entity information on your page against what's in the knowledge graph to determine whether your page is actually factual enough to show it to somebody, especially for YMYL queries. I think it's conceivably possible that for a lot of queries in the future, the answer will just be in the knowledge graph and Google can populate the answer to your question without having to draw on a website at all. So for now, I think that all we need to know is that this week, Google announced three new advancements in understanding language. Again, mum, kelm, and uh, lambda. Again, I think we've gone past the days of trying to reverse engineer what it is that Google's algorithms will find valuable and truly produce trustworthy content that helps searchers find what they're looking for as easily as possible. The other thing we should probably just touch on is Google's page experience update. 
I think a lot of people don't realize that this update is more than just the core web vitals. There's more in the page experience update. Uh, we have some stuff in newsletter about this, but um, you know, Core web vitals are important, but also making sure that your page is not going to allow people to download malware, um, that there are no privacy issues. There's a lot of other things that are important. Um, so this update is supposed to be going live mid-June. We have a bunch of stuff in newsletter about, again, what you need to know about this. And really, if you haven't worked on your core web vitals yet, it's a good idea to at least take a look. We don't know how big of a ranking factor it'll be, but it's not often that Google comes out and tells us something is specifically a ranking factor. Uh, so you should be paying attention to them. So next month, uh, my guess is that probably the majority of what we'll talk about is what kind of effect core web vitals or page experience update has had on, uh, on websites. All right, that was a shorter episode than some that I've done recently. One of the things my team and I are doing this week is reassessing our workloads. Uh, we're, and we're starting with me. <laughs> Aleda Solis tweeted something this week asking, what is your biggest challenge with work right now? And I had this realization that as we grow, we keep adding more to our plates. As we grow as a business, as you guys grow in your ability to either freelance or to do your work, whatever it is that you're doing, as you get better and as you get more tools in your arsenal, you add more to your plates. But we rarely take anything off of our plates. Every one of the employees at MHC is involved in site reviews in some way, and then they all do other things in the business as well. They help run newsletter. They, uh, you know, look for, uh, they respond to client requests. They, all of these, uh, these things that, um, you know, they're tasks that, uh, that have to be done well. Well, we unintentionally keep adding more to people's plates and we rarely take anything off. So one of the things that we're trying to do this week as a team is determine what to do less of and what to focus on. We want to be able to do great work without putting uh, insane stress on everybody who works here. So don't worry, I'm still going to keep doing podcast, uh, but you might find that some of the episodes are a bit shorter. My goal is to occasionally have longer episodes like we did with my history of eight years of using the disavow tool, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago. I still want to do eating with Marie, where I'm going to answer your EAT questions while I eat super hot wings. <laughs> and we've got so many other things that we want to be doing with this company uh, so that we can do the best possible job at helping you, my listeners, also our clients to create websites that perform well on Google searches. But also it's summer. I saw a pie chart that made a lot of sense this week. You know, before the pandemic, our, our days were divided into tasks like drive to work, get a coffee, do some work, chat at the office, drive home, run a few errands, make dinner, do fun stuff, go to bed. And now the pie chart is just one big circle that says work. <laughs> Working from home, it's hard to separate work from life. Although to me, and it's even harder because it hardly seems like working because figuring this stuff out is a lot of fun. I, I get to play around on the internet all day and I get paid for it. It's great. Uh, but I'm going to be actively working on not actively working and taking a little bit more time to spend with my family this summer rather than figuring out Google 24-7. Hopefully you'll understand. So that's all we're going to cover for this week. I'll keep you updated if May 22nd actually does turn out to be a monster update worth more investigation, like, like some people are saying. 
The rest of my week will be spent working on a presentation for a client. Um, my teams reviewed their site and they're going to have me present uh, our findings to their team. So it's been a while since we did a presentation like that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and if you're interested in having my team and I assess your website and give you a list of changes that we think would help you to rank better on Google, you can reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com. I hope you have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm-hmm.